Abiding Hope Church's podcast of our weekly sermons. For more information about our church, please visit abidinghope.org. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Right off the bat, I'm gonna let you know the first lesson from Abram and the stuff, I'm not talking about any of that today. Um, Pastor Doug is at Christ the King uh, preaching today and Lindsay is at Rejoice preaching today. Both of them would love to hear your questions about that text. I invite you to send emails, request meetings, complaints, whatever you want, just send it to them. But we're gonna be talking about that other text. The, the gospel text today is, is a powerful text. It is a powerful text. It's this image of Jesus. And some Pharisees come to Jesus and they're, they're trying to protect him and say, run, uh, Herod wants to kill you. Now Herod at the time is, he is sort of the king of Israel at this time. And Herod was an evil, evil leader. He was ruthless and uh, did not want anything to threaten the power uh, that he possessed there. Now, he was just still a vassal of Rome, but yet Rome allowed the local leaders to stay in charge of those areas. And so Herod did not want to lose any of that power. And so if anyone else were to be called king, the word king in Hebrew is Messiah, the anointed one, because you anoint the king. If anyone else is to be called Messiah, that is a threat to the power of the king. And so Jesus was a threat to Herod, and so Herod wanted to kill him. But then Jesus says something very interesting. Jesus basically says, don't worry about it. I'm safe. I'm not in Jerusalem. Prophets are only killed in Jerusalem. Now, what's curious about this is that you would think that Jerusalem is the center of the religious power, political power. It's the place that people should know and understand what God is doing and what God is about. But yet it's exactly that place where power lives and power exists. The king is in Jerusalem. The priests, the chief priests, the, the, the leadership is all in Jerusalem. And, Jeru- and the, so therefore the people of Jerusalem do not want to hear a threat to their power. And so it's always in Jerusalem that the prophets speak and it's always in Jerusalem that they are killed. And then Jesus has this extraordinary moment an extraordinary moment of empathy where he says, oh, Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem, you who kill and murder the prophets, you who kill those who are sent to you, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings that you will not have me. And therefore, what you have built is for yourself. Your house is left to you. And you will not see until you hear, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a powerful text. And it starts with having to give us, giving us a moment to understand what a prophet is. We need to understand what it means to be a prophet. The, the first thing that we, ten, we tend to do when we think about prophets is we tend to think, think of them as fortune tellers. But over the month in February, um, I gathered Graceways. Any Graceways folks in here? So we gathered to talk about the minor prophets. The minor prophets are the smaller books in the Old Testament where prophets were sent to speak to the people and the leaders and, and power in both the Northern and Southern Kingdom in the Old Testament. We looked at these prophets and we tend to think of prophets as someone that we stare into a crystal ball and they can see the future. They're, they're sort of like fortune tellers and they look into the future. But that's not what a prophet is. What a prophet is, is a truth teller. What a prophet does is just tell the truth. And it sounds like you're predicting a future. It's sort of like I said, if you drive 150 miles an hour on 470, you're going to get into a wreck and you're going to die. Am I predicting the future or am I just telling the truth? Do you see how that works? That if you, so when the prophets come and they say, if you continue on this path, this is what's going to happen. It sounds like they're predicting the future, but they're just telling the truth. The other thing you need to know about prophets is that prophets speak truth to power. You're not going to find a prophet who goes to the poor people and say, oh, you poor people, you need to get your act together and get, get yourself back up and, and you need to fix your things. And yet you'll never hear a prophet go to the widows and say, widows, you are a big mess and you need to get it. Prophets always come to the kings, the leaders, the chief scribes and Pharisees. Prophets always speak to the oppressed, even when the people in Israel were the oppressed in Babylon. It's always against the people in power that prophets speak. And so this text is a prophetic text. And I think we are in a time of great prophecy that there are words being spoken to us and that they're being spoken to the people of power and we are called to hear and listen to them. And let me be honest with you. When we talk about who those people in power are, it's me. I am the person of power. As a white, heterosexual, cisgendered male, I have a lot of power. And so the word of God is being spoken directly to me. And then on top of that, I am a pastor of a church. I am a leader of the religious thing. I, I, let me just tell you something really scary as a pastor. Jesus was only mad at one group of people in the, Old Test, in the New Testament. And you know who that was? The religious leaders. If you were a tax collector, a prostitute, somebody who was an outsider, or a different religion, if you were anyone else, Jesus had infinite patience for you. But if you were a religious leader, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you would travel over land and sea to make a single convert, make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like a whitewashed tomb, nice and clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. 
And why? Why does Jesus, why do prophets speak to people in power that are the religious leaders and are at the center of the power and control and understand and listening to God? I'll tell you why. It's because they should know better. They're the ones who are supposed to understand what God's will and vision for the world is. And yet they're the ones messing up. They're the ones who are going to be held accountable. The ones who are on the outside, they're going to get a free pass. If someone comes to your house and they use the wrong set of towels, are you going to get mad at them? No, but if your kids take the good towels and use them after taking their shower, are you going to get mad at them? Yeah, because they should know better, right? The religious leaders should know better, and I should know better. I need to address the ways that the words being spoken today are about me and about the ways that I need to repent. You see, I don't believe Jerusalem is out there. I believe Jerusalem is this, the church, the thing that I represent, this place, this, this space. We have a lot of repenting to do as a community. We have a lot. We have used Jesus. We have used Jesus to keep people down. We have used the gospel of Christ to tell women that they are less and men that they are more. We have used the gospel of Christ to tell transgendered, lesbian, gay people that they are less than than they are. We are using it right now to pass legislation whose only intent is to shame people. That is not Jesus. But the church is saying that is a good thing. We, we have created genocide for whole cultures in this country. We have brought enslaved people and defended it from the pulpit and have kept them down and have only just given them the right to what, vote in the last few decades? And yet we expect everything to be different. We have to repent. We have taken indigenous cultures. We have kidnapped their children, put them into religious schools and exercised their culture and tried to make them like little white people in the name of Jesus. We have a lot to repent. I have a lot to repent. I have been a part of that. I have made decisions that have kept women down and men up. I have used epithets that are normally addressed to gay and lesbian people and used them as weapons against other people. I have said the wrong thing to people. I have hurt people by the ways that I've acted and behaved from a culture that, I have, that has been addressed to me. I am a part of the problem and I have to repent. You see, there's only one king in the Old Testament that actually heard the prophet and did something, David. David saw Bathsheba and thought she was beautiful. And so David took Uriah, her husband, and sent him to the front line of a battle, making sure that he died so that he could have Bathsheba. Nathan, the prophet of that court, came into the court and said, King, I have to tell you a story. There's a very poor man who had a lamb. And the very rich man next to him saw the lamb and wanted the lamb so much, he killed the poor man in order to have the lamb. And David said, that's terrible. Bring him to me, let's execute him. And Nathan said, you are the man. And what did David do? He repented. He saw the truth. And he turned away. 
If these are hard words for you to hear, if these are hard words for you to ingest right now, it's probably because you've got some power. And these words are a threat to those in power like me. These are hard words for us to hear. But we have to begin doing the work that looks different than the rest of the world. Vengeance is so ordinary. To pray and love our enemies is extraordinary. To simply say, you're out and you're in, well, we've been doing that from the beginning of time. Jesus did not come to divide and push people out and bring others in. Jesus came to knock down all the walls of hostility, to bring every last soul back together into humanity, into wholeness, into fulfillment, and we have to be a part of that. And nobody is allowed to use the name of Jesus to do anything but that. Are you with me? We have work to do, people. We have work to do to repent to understand that those who are wounded, that maybe we've done the wounding. Young adults right now are leaving the church in droves. Do you know why? The number one reason why young adults leaving the church is because we're hypocrites. We say, God is love, but you're out. God is love, but kill that one. God is love, but shame that one. God is love, but not that one. God is love, unless you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a thing. You know, it's like God loves everybody except this list. If that's not hypocrisy, I don't know what is. Either God is love or God isn't. Don't make it both, right? We have got work to do. And there's only one way we're going to be able to do that. It's only one way we're going to be able to do that is to remember that we are children of God. You and I are a child of God. And we don't do this work to become children of God. We do it because we are a child of God and we know better, right? You and I are claimed by Christ and are called to do the hard work of reconciliation, repentance, and restoration to the people that we have harmed for far too long, and we have to begin that work now. But the only way we can do that is claiming our identity for exactly the people that we are and saying we are God's children and we have to do this work. This is what we are called to do. And it only happens when we remember our identity is as a child of Christ. You see, when God came to us in Jesus and he died and rose, he didn't do this to create in and out. He did this to remind us who we are from the beginning. And when we're fully invested in this relationship, then the hard work begins of addressing the ways in which we have harmed others, wounded others. We have work to do, church. And this is a prophetic moment for us. It's a prophetic moment for us as a country, as a church, for our whole world. Today, as we confess, we're having a contemplative moment, a quiet moment to confess. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a little bit of music in a moment. And I want you to think, we've, we've talked about big things. We've talked about big things. We're gonna start with something small. How do we begin healing and restoration to those we've wounded, maybe just real near us? As we begin singing this, I want you to think about somebody that maybe you've harmed, somebody that you've wounded, somebody that you've hurt, maybe somebody you've not said you're sorry to. And we're gonna spend a little time focusing on that energy 
And we're gonna confess that we have not brought healing and restoration and repentance to that relationship. And we're gonna start small in our own lives. And then as you come up for for communion today, I want you to come by this font. I want you to touch these waters and I want you to draw a cross on your forehead as a reminder that you are a child of God and that you'll never forget it. seats, I invite you to place your feet onto the ground, making a firm foundation underneath you, letting your hands rest gently in your lap. And now begin to notice your breath, gently breathing in and out. As you center on your breath, I invite you to either close your eyes or simply soften your gaze. Now put your energy into your body 
Breathing in, breathing out, slowing yourself down. As you sit in this space, I invite you in your mind's eye to welcome someone that you have harmed, someone you have wounded, someone perhaps you've not said you're sorry or apologized to. Simply hold them in your mind's eye. Take a moment to note any feelings that come up as you think of this person. Note where you might feel this in your body. As you hold their gaze, start breathing deeply in through your nose and out through your mouth. As you breathe in, I invite you to breathe in the deep love of God, filling your body with that love. As you breathe out, that it would be a breath of love for that person that filled up with God's love, you may extend that love out to them. That in your mind's eye, that you would be surrounding them with love perhaps even saying you're sorry, apologizing for the harm. Breathe in God's love. Breathe out love upon that person. And in your next breath, breathe in I am the name of God and breathe out child of God a reminder that you can release this and release them that you can extend the love shown to you into the universe around you into the people around you a reminder that this comes from your identity as a child of God. People of God, each and every one of us is a forgiven and loved child of God. You are released from the grip of your shortcomings, from where you have acted out of your wounds and are freed to live life as a child of God, created to experience life to its fullest, to have joy, to love, to be loved, 
and to care for creation. We invite you to come back now into your conscious body, releasing that person to come back into this present moment to gently open your eyes and to return to your regular breathing.